Welcome to Jury Duty. I'm your host, Carrie Antholis. This season of Jury Duty explores the criminal trial stemming from the tragic death of Ahmad Arbery, a 25-year-old black man who was pursued by three white men, Travis and Greg McMichael and William Roddy Bryan, and was eventually shot to death by one of those men, Travis McMichael. With verdicts of guilty rendered against the three defendants, we continue our complete coverage of the trial from gavel to gavel. We have previously examined the testimonies of Jeff Brandeberry and Parker Macy, members of Glynn County Law Enforcement who questioned Greg McMichael on the day of the killing of Mr. Arbery. Today, we explore the testimony of Sergeant Robert Nohilly, who served as a criminal investigator in the Glynn County Police Department on February 23, 2020, and became the third officer to question Greg McMichael. We will also give a listen to the four 911 calls made by Greg and Travis McMichael that were entered into evidence in this case. All of that is coming up after the break. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Prosecutor Linda Dunikowski begins the state's questioning of Sergeant Robert Nohilly by establishing that he has been with the Glynn County Police Department for 16 years and that he happened to be at department headquarters on February 23, 2020, and took over the questioning of Greg McMichael from investigator Parker Marcy. Dunikowski then asks Nohilly about his acquaintance with Greg McMichael. Did you know Greg McMichael prior to February 23, 2020? I did. Tell the jury how you knew Greg McMichael prior to February 23rd, 2020. I knew him as one of the investigators at the our DA's office here. Uh, he would uh, come to our station, deliver subpoenas here and there, and I would talk to him. Uh, I knew him professionally. And how long had you known him professionally? Since at least 2005. Any personal relationship, like out to dinner or anything like that? No. And you stopped by to talk to him? Yes. Did he agree to speak with you freely and voluntarily? Yes. And what was kind of the nature or tone of the conversation you had with him? We were just talking about what happened. You know, he was telling me, telling me what happened. Much has been said about how unusually generous Glynn County police officers were in their treatment of Greg and Travis McMichael. The McMichaels were armed at the scene of a homicide. They both acknowledged that Travis McMichael fired the shots that killed Mr. Arbery. And yet all three defendants were given great deference when questioned by police officers. Each officer seemed to go out of his way to help Greg McMichael formulate legally tenable explanations for the McMichaels' actions. Officers at the crime scene allowed the McMichaels and William Bryan to associate freely with each other and with bystanders. All three men were allowed to go home after they were questioned. And of course, the McMichaels and William Bryan were not arrested until after the video of the shooting, recorded by Bryan, was released to the public. 
While the intent of the individual officers was likely to give the three men the benefit of every doubt in the killing of Mr. Arbery, the effect appears to have been to create an environment where Greg McMichael became comfortable acknowledging or admitting to a number of actions by him which would ultimately become critical pieces of evidence in the state's case against him and his co-defendants. It is worth keeping all this in mind as we hear Prosecutor Dunikowski lead Investigator Nohilly through his reading of excerpts from Nohilly's interview with Greg McMichael. First, Dunikowski asks Nohilly to read his questions and Greg McMichael's answers regarding McMichael's acquaintance with the owner of the under-construction property that Mr. Arbery had previously been caught on video visiting. What did you ask Greg McMichael? What's his name? The one who owns this house. Now, when you say the one who owns this house, what house are you referring to? The house that was under construction a few doors down from his home. Okay. And what was his answer to you? I have no idea. Never met him. Never met him. What is the next question that you asked Greg McMichael? Did this guy break into a house today? And what did Greg McMichael say in response? Well, that's just it. I don't know. That's what I told. I told, what's her name out there? I said, listen, you might want to go knock on doors down there because this guy had just done something that he was fleeing from. And I don't know, you know, you might have gone in somebody else's house. So when he says, that's just it, I don't know, that's what I told, what's her name out there? Do you have any idea who what's her name out there is? I'm assuming at the time it was uh, Sergeant Oliver. Okay. So he's talking about, I was telling the law enforcement officer out there that they needed to go figure out what he might have done. Yes. This is an example of Greg McMichael acknowledging to a police officer that he had no knowledge that Mr. Arbery had committed any crime on the day that he began chasing him. What did you ask him? Have you ever seen him before? What did Greg McMichael say? No, no. I'd never laid eyes on the guy. You then say, okay. What does Mr. McMichael then say? Nobody in that neighborhood, or at least nobody that has seen the video, has a clue who he is. What did you ask next? Did he put it out on Facebook or something, the video? Now, who is he that you're talking about? Did he put it out on Facebook? The owner of the house under construction. All right. What was Mr. Greg Michael's response? I don't know. He may have. Again, Greg McMichael's stated uncertainty about what crime, if any, Mr. Arbery may have committed becomes especially significant when weighed against the requirements to invoke Georgia's citizen's arrest law. And then did you ask how many people in the neighborhood have seen this video? And what was his response? I know that Diego has and... And then you were asking him who Diego was, right? Yeah. Diego is the little short Hispanic guy that lives like two doors down from that open house, the construction house. All right. Was he able to give you uh, Diego's last name? No, I don't believe so. And at this point in time, are you asking Greg McMichael to speculate as to what was going through the mind of Maude Arbery? Yes. Okay. So when asking Greg McMichael to speculate about what's going through the mind of Maude Arbery, what does Greg McMichael say? He was trapped like a rat. I think he was wanting to flee, and he realized that something, you know, he was not going to get away. Of course, this statement by Greg McMichael becomes central to the prosecution's case that the defendants falsely imprisoned Ahmad Arbery. 
Detective Nohilly appears to have been trying to guide Greg McMichael away from the idea that they had trapped Mr. Arbery, perhaps sensing that it would undermine any self-defense argument that Travis McMichael may have. What did you then say to him? Yeah, but he could have run around your son, right? What's he say? Sure, sure. Okay, and then what'd you say? From what I can tell in the video, I mean the whole road is there. So you had seen the video at this point in time that you're talking to Gregory Michael? I had seen it uh, on scene uh, briefly. So at that point in time, what does Gregory Michael say to you? Oh yeah, yeah. And he was much faster than Travis would ever be. He had opportunity to flee further, you know. We had chased him around the neighborhood a bit, but he wasn't winded at all. I mean, this guy was, he was in good shape. After speaking with Greg McMichael, um, was Greg McMichael then free to leave and did he in fact leave? Yes. I will pass the witness, thank you. Defense attorney Franklin Hogue then rises on behalf of Greg McMichael. Hogue again continues his effort to convince the jury that while Greg McMichael may have been unclear about some details, he was certain that Mr. Arbery had been in the Satilla Shores neighborhood with criminal intent and that he was right about that. Mr. McMichael couldn't tell you Ahmad Arbery's name, could he? Correct. Because he said he didn't know his name, didn't he? Correct. All right. This is what Greg McMichael was saying to you immediately after telling you he didn't know the name of the person he saw running in his neighborhood, right? Yes. Okay. Uh, He says, but when he came past my house, he was, he met the description of the guy that Travis had seen run in that, that empty house, you know, two weeks ago or however long ago it was. You say, yeah. And then Greg McMichael, I mean, 2AT. Plus he met the description of the video I had seen of this guy being in there. Short dreads. And then Mr. Greg McMichael says, white t-shirt, short pants, I mean, plus he was hauling ass. And, and you know this, he was running like people don't run normally. He wasn't out for no Sunday jog. He was getting the hell out of there. Yes. Now in context, even though he's told you he doesn't know this person's name, He's telling you, in effect, why he suspected him and then Jackson, chased him. Question, characterization. That's sustained. And then he goes on to say, in that same context, <clears throat> and there was no, no hesitation on his part when he came to Travis. I mean, it was, I think he was, his intention was to grab that gun and probably shoot Travis. That's in my mind, that's what I saw, you know. If he'd had gotten that shotgun and there was any separation between Travis and him, I was going to cap his ass. And you understood he was describing to you the fight right at the very end of the confrontation that you perhaps had seen on video by this point. Is that what you understood the context of this to be? In the context of this conversation, you understood Greg McMichael to be telling you that what he thought when he was watching Ahmaud Arbery attack his son, 
mischaracterization, counsel's testifying, that is not at all what Greg McMichael said. Didn't use the word attack at all. Okay, I'll use his words. His intention was to grab that shotgun and probably shoot Travis. That's in my mind. Those were his words, right? Yes. And you understood that what he was conveying to you was that he thought he was about to witness his son's death at the hands of a monarch. Objection, speculation. Yeah, the statement speaks for itself. It's sustained. You asked Greg McMichael, was he hit all three times or? And Greg McMichael answers, there was only two shots. And you say, no, there were three, right? Correct. And he says, were there three shots? And you say, on the video, it sounds like there's three. Greg McMichael says, I don't think so. I mean, it may have been three. I don't know. But I, like I say, it was a fur ball. It was a hair ball. But he thought he heard two, and you heard three, and there's three on the video, right? From what I remember, yes. Jason Sheffield then rises and questions Detective Nohilly on behalf of Travis McMichael. Sheffield calls attention to one peculiar aspect of Greg McMichael's awareness of crime in the Satilla Shores neighborhood. Just as you sit here, do you recall whether or not you talked with Greg McMichael about crime in the neighborhood? Yes, yes. Okay. One of the things that you've come to understand is that burglary doesn't just happen at night, right? Correct. It happens in the middle of the day sometimes. Yes. In particular on Sundays. I don't know if it's particularly on Sundays. Isn't that what you discussed with Greg McMichael? Yes. Usually on Sunday. Yes, that's what I said, yes. In a quick redirect, Prosecutor Donikowski implicitly points out the oddness of these statements by McMichael and Nohilly. Right after you said, usually on Sunday, what did Greg McMichael say? That's right, that's right. Then what did he say? People are home on Sundays. People are home on Sundays. All right. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Later on that same day, the prosecution calls Kara Richardson, who works with the Glynn County Police Dispatcher's Office. Richardson authenticates four 911 calls, which the state then introduces as evidence in the case. Two of the calls were by Greg McMichael, and two were by Travis McMichael. We will play key excerpts from each of those calls in the chronological order that they were made. The first call was made by Greg McMichael on July 13, 2019, at approximately 6.14 p.m., to report that he and his son Travis had encountered a suspicious individual encamped under a bridge near their home. You're in Brunswick Communications up right now. You're four home assist you. Hey, this is Greg uh, McMichael. I'm a uh, uh, chief investigator with the DA's office. Is there uh, anybody uh, 
supervisor available I might be able to speak to? Sure, just a moment. And are you talking uh, the dispatch supervisor or police supervisor? Police supervisor, yeah. Anybody on duty would be fine. I okay. Gotta, I wanted to make, make an Okay. And, all right. And what was your name? Greg McMichael. We've had a lot of break-ins in this area out here, automobile break-ins. And uh, my son and I just discovered a guy. We think he may be living on uh, the Bluff Creek Bridge. On 17, we just went up there and made contact with a real shady-looking fella. And, he, you know, possibility he may be the one that's been breaking into all these audible deals right there. I just wanted to make somebody aware that there was somebody living out there. Hello? And you want, and you want to talk to the supervisor or, or any police uh, officer? Uh, any police officer would be fine. Okay. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. The second call was made by Travis McMichael at 11.05 a.m. on New Year's Day 2020 to report that his gun had been stolen. Man, Brothers Communications, operated I-15. Hey, yes, I need a, uh, I need a police officer. I, I got a report of a uh, an stolen you, you what, sir? I need a police officer. I need to report a stolen pistol. Okay, and what's the address it was stolen from? 330 Satilla Drive. It's 230 Satilla Drive, sir. Yes, ma'am. And your name? Travis McMichael. What kind of gun was it, sir? It was a Smith & Wesson NMP me. When did he get stolen? Uh, I'm assuming about an hour ago. Okay, where, where was it when it got stolen? It was in my truck. It was in my truck on the side of the road here. Yes, sir. You see on the side of the road? Yeah, right here at the house. Do you have the serial number for it by any chance or paperwork on it? I, I don't. I'm, um, I can get it tomorrow, but I don't have it right now. Oh, man. I might have something somewhere around here right in my gun safe right now. I might have it. I'll, I'll, I'll look for it when I go. And you say they took it today or? Um, I'm pretty certain it was within an hour. My uh, my father missed my truck for me. He had mm-hmm. the truck for me. I came out an hour later, and the holster was sitting in my seat. So I made sure I basically. I'm pretty certain it's not. They stole it. Yes, sir. And um, what kind of truck was it stolen out of? A uh, 2011 Ford F-150, regular gas. Did you take anything else out of your truck, sir? Oh, what color is the truck? Red. All right, I'll put it in for you so you have officer come out. Uh, all right, I'll be out here with you. Yes, sir. All right, Thank you, sir. The next 911 call was made by Travis McMichael on February 11, 2020, at 7.27 p.m., after he came upon a man who would later be identified as Ahmaud Arbery at the under-construction property at 220 Satilla Drive. 911, what's the address of your emergency? Uh, Satilla Drive, 230, Satilla Drive. What's going on? We got a, uh, we've had a string of burglaries. Um, I was leaving the neighborhood, and I just caught a guy running into a um, house being built two houses down from me. Um, when I turned around, he took off running into the house. Okay. What did he look like? 
Uh, it's a black male, red shirt, white shorts. And you said the house is being built? It's being built. Yes, ma'am. It's vacant right now. He is in the house. What's your name and phone number, sir? Travis McMichael, 912-423-1374. All right. Where are you at now? I am sitting right across the street in my truck watching the house. Watching the house with it right now. Right here at the okay. What kind of truck are you in? Red Ford F-150. Okay. Are you okay? Yeah, yeah. When I, it just startled me. Um, when I turned around, when I turned around and saw him and backed up, he reached into his pocket and ran into the house. So I don't know if he's armed or not, um, but he looked like he was acting like he was. So, uh, yeah, be mindful of that. Okay. Which pocket did he reach into? Uh, left, I believe. Okay. And now, so 230 is the vacant lot address? It's, no, it's my address. I do not it's your address? It's probably okay. 228 or 226. Maybe 226? Possibly. How many houses down is it from yours? It's two towards the highway. He's got, I guess he didn't realize we're here. He's got the damn lights on right now. He's got a flashlight going through the house. And does he? Okay. You just stay where you're at so that the officers will know. Will do. Will okay. Do. And I'll stay on the line with you until they get there, just in case anything changes. Roger that. So you said he was a black male. Did he have hair on his head? Any other features you can tell me about? I couldn't tell. Okay. Uh, he just looked like short hair. Okay. Was he tall, short? Yeah, he was tall. I thought that was six foot. Okay. There's the neighbors, I guess it's one of the other neighbors saw it. Um, there's about four of us over here around it right now. Okay. So what happened when you first saw him? He tried he to look behind a bush. He, okay. tried, he was coming through somebody's yard and I looked back and uh and uh he was trying to sneak behind a bush and he, when I drove on by he got behind a uh portal that they had with. And uh when I backed up he looked at me. I went ahead and backed up to the road, and he reached in his pockets. I kind of watched him, and he ran off into the house, and he stepped back out and went back into the house, and that's when I, that's when I called, called y'all. Okay. But we've been having a lot of burglaries and break-ins around here lately, mm -hmm. and, uh, and uh, I had a pistol stolen January 1st, actually. And, uh, you know, he, he's, I've never seen this guy before in the neighborhood. We've been kind of keeping an eye, and, you know, sure enough, there's one, you know, through the yards, you know. Cops, all right, please come see me. you see them? Yep, they're pulling up, coming in hot. Okay, you can go ahead and let me go, okay? All right. Thank you, bye-bye. And the final 911 call was made by Greg McMichael at 1.14 p.m. on February 23, 2020, just seconds before his son Travis would shoot Ahmad Arbery. 911, what's the address emergency? Uh, I'm not here. It's a show of stores. It's a black male running down the street. Sotelo, where, where, where at Sotelo Shores? I don't know what street we're on. It's not what that is. It? Stop. Call it. Sir, hello, sir. 
That concludes this episode of Jury Duty, The Killing of Ahmad Arbery. Join us on our next episode as we continue our examination of the state of Georgia's case against Travis and Greg McMichael and William Roddy Bryan. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com You can find more information about this trial at crimestory.com. Jury Duty is created, produced, and hosted by yours truly, Carrie Antholis. Our consulting producer is Paul Butler. It was co-produced and edited by Chris Taracom. Music was provided by Strike Audio. Trial Audio is courtesy of Law and Crime Networks. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you will come back for the next episode of Jury Duty, The Killing of Ahmaud Arbery.